for this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll get, we'll get into God's word this morning. One more time, if you would bow with me. God, we are here to worship you. We're here to honor you. And we're here this morning to ask you that you would speak to us by your spirit through your word. God, give us insight, give us understanding, soften our hearts, be responsive to what you're offering this morning, what you're challenging this morning, or what you're speaking to each one of us. Uh, We're here because we want to hear from you, and we eagerly anticipate what you want to communicate to us. In your name we pray, amen. This morning, we're starting a new series. It's called Home when God moves in. I'm going to show you a picture uh, of the last home, the current home, of us moving in. There's me carrying my wife across the threshold of the home we live in now. We will, by the end of next calendar year, so we moved in in October, so by the time next October comes around, this will be the home we have lived in the longest in the next couple of months. And uh, we're excited about that. It feels like it's hard harder and harder to remember some of our memories from our former homes. Um, actually, a friend of ours bought our first home, and so we still kind of remember it because we think about it once in a while, a little more often because we know who actually lives in that home. Um, but you know, as you move into a house, if you've ever done that, probably all of you have, but whether it's an apartment, townhome, a condo, even a dorm room, uh, there's a process that has to happen before it feels like home, right? It's just like a residence, a living place, a dwelling. I don't know what you want to call it. But over time, we've had this experience in each of the homes that we've lived in as a family. Over time, things start to shift, and it feels more and more like home. We have fond memories uh, in each of our homes. We have affection that we experience for each other and just the place. There's trials we've gone through, there's growth that we've experienced, there's transitions that we've noticed in ourselves or in the people around us, and lots of love gets attached to the places that we live because we typically are living with people we care about, usually the people we care about the most. What causes that change and shift to happen over time? Well, this series that we're going to look at this morning is thinking about the idea of home and what would it look like? Really, here's my two big questions this morning and really for the entire series. If God made himself at home in me, what would change? Or what would need to change for that to happen? And then the second question is, if I made myself at home in God, what would change? What shifts would would happen? What would it be like, you know, when you say when a guest comes over, make yourself at home? Well, we know that's just a saying because I've almost never had a guest, especially a first-time guest, be able to come into my house. And if I say make themselves at home, that they actually do that. Like, open the fridge whenever you need to, go wherever you want to in the house. Like, it doesn't do that. Now, that happens with a couple of close friends over a long period of time. But what if we were that familiar with God and God was that familiar with us? It seemed like we were both comfortable in the same way. What would that be like? 
That's what we're going to be exploring for the next eight weeks. What would that be like? And this series is inspired by a resource I mentioned earlier this year called My Heart, Christ's Home. It's actually a sermon itself that was preached in, I think, 1951 for the first time by that gentleman. I meant to put his name up there, but his name is Robert Boyd Munger. If you Google him, there's a really bad guy named Robert Munger, and his middle name is not Boyd, so that's not the pastor I'm talking about. <laughs> Make sure it's Robert Boyd Munger. Um, he was a Presbyterian minister, and he actually preached the sermon that became this little booklet. <clears throat> I've learned that this little booklet, which is, you know, you can read it, and you can read it faster than I can preach it. Let's just put it that way. Um, and 16 pages, I think, in this version, uh, was a, a, really a sermon that he gave. And what he did in that sermon, it's based, uh, really, inspiration for his sermon. You'll read, I think, a couple, actually, right in the first sentence or two, is refers to part of the passage we're going to explore this morning in Ephesians 3. But in Ephesians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, is a phrase that says, may Christ, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. May dwell... We're going to look at that word. It actually can mean make yourself, make, may Christ make himself at home. But what he did in that little booklet and in his sermon is he imagined his heart, like that verse says, make Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. He imagined his heart like a house and walking through the different rooms of a house, the living room, the dining room, the study, the rec room. He kind of uses some 1950s terminology, which we'll actually use so it can coordinates with this little booklet, and what those rooms might represent, and what it would look like for Jesus to really be at home in there, and for him to really be comfortable and at home with Jesus being in in each area of his life. It's really powerful, and that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. This morning, we're going to look at Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, which is a prayer uh, it might be familiar to you. It's a passage of Scripture that I have memorized a number of times over the years. And it goes like this. Let's read it together. <clears throat> or you can listen. It'll be on the screen. You can open up your Bible. If you have a physical Bible, you can pull out your cell phone and open a Bible app. I use the Christian Standard Bible when I preach these days. Uh, but that's what I'll be reading out of. Here's how it goes. I pray that he... That's the Father, our Father in heaven, that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may, have, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We're going to slow down through those verses. Verse 16, the beginning of that passage, says this, I pray that he, God in heaven, may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. What the writer of this, this is a letter that was written, a man named Paul, 
describes himself as an apostle of Christ at the beginning of the letter. He's writing to friends of his in a church that he helped start in a city called Ephesus. If you were around at all for the summer series, we talked about Ephesus and Paul starting that church. You could go back and listen to those messages that talk about that circumstance. We're not going to tackle that right now. He's writing a letter back to a church, though, and what he's praying for, just think about this, he's just asking that the riches of God, the power and strength of God would be imparted to his friends in this church, that they would experience that in their inner being, in their heart, in their soul, in the core of who they are for a reason. And it's the next verse, which is the theme of this whole series. And that, it's one sentence. Some, 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 some translations will say, so that, even, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Guys, in the Bible, in the scriptures, the heart uh, isn't a, just the cardiac muscle, although it might be referred to once in a while as an actual physical organ, muscle of the body. The heart isn't just, oftentimes, the heart, when we think about it, we think about the emotions and the feelings. That's part of it. It certainly is part of it, but it's not all of it. In the Bible, when the heart is referred to, it is the affection, the center of our affections, our desires, our thoughts even, which is strange. You usually think about our minds, but actually, Scripture says there's thoughts of the heart, our feelings, and our will where we make decisions and convictions. It stands for really all of the person, your personality, the core of who you are. And so what he's praying is that God would make himself at home, would dwell in the core of who you are. I'm going to read you a handful of translations so that we can get a feel for this word dwell, which isn't all that inspiring, but some of the others are more. The Phillips translation, uh, he, he, has, he translated uh, J.B. Phillips, the New Testament, and he says this, that Christ may actually live in your hearts through faith. The New Living Translation, which I really appreciate how they tackle this verse, I think gets some of the nuance of what the, that word says, which we're going to look at the Greek word in a second, says this, that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. That word that we're looking at, make yourself, make himself at home or dwell, is the word katoikeo, uh, and it means dwell. I like the nuance of settle, like when you move into a new place, right, you want to get settled in. That kind of has the, the idea of like, I'm getting to feel like this is more normal, more comfortable, more like where I belong. It can also mean to inhabit, like God is said to dwell in the temple. He lives there. He's always available and present to us. The Living Bible says it this way in Ephesians 3.17, which was the inspiration for the New Living Translation. And I pray that Christ will more and more be at home in your hearts. And that actually, that phrase translates the tense of that verb, dwell, which is a Okay, I'm an English major, so I will not test you on this on a grammar test, Bible grammar test, but this is the progressive present continuous tense. So it's sort of like, make, like I like how it says, make yourself more at home. 
that he may dwell more and more continually. Right now he is, and he's continuing to be present more somehow in you. It's not just like a static condition, like now I live. I'm living here now, but now I'm not living here. It's a continuous, maybe a better way for us to think about it is a continual experience of Christ being at home in our hearts. So I'm going to make three observations in this passage, and here's the first one. God wants to make himself at home in me and you. He wants to do that. That's his desire, is that he and you and I and you and him would have this experience that you both are at home with each other. Have you ever not felt at home with God? Like it feels strange trying to relate to him? Like he's distant or separate from you or at least unfamiliar? Well, let me tell you, his desire is that he would f- become familiar, friendly, and actually be so familiar that you feel at home with him. I want to read you a few quotes about the idea of home. You might resonate with some of these. Here's one. Home is not where you live, but where they understand you. I think that's a good. That gets part of it, right? You're at home somewhere when it's not just the place that you live, but the people that you live with understand you. Here's another one. Jane Austen. You might have heard of her. There is nothing like staying at home for real comfort. There's some truth in that too, isn't there? Isn't home a place where we feel or go to to find comfort? Here's another one. Home is where you can say anything you please because nobody pays any attention to you anyway. There's some truth to that too. Sometimes you can just ignore what doesn't need to be paid attention to because it doesn't need that, and that person is offended, and you aren't offended. Here's another one. This is from a U2 song. Home, hard to know what it is if you've never had one. Home, I can't say where it is, but I know I'm going home. That's where the hurt is. There's some reality to that too, isn't it? Some of our deepest hurts happen at home because the people who know us best have the ability to hurt us the most, and we them. Here's a long one, and I really like this description. Home is the one place in all this world where hearts are sure of each other. I would say this is maybe an ideal ideal of what a home is intended to be if we really experience. It's the place of confidence It's the place where we tear off that mask of guarded and suspicious coldness which the world forces us to wear in self-defense and where we pour out the unreserved communications of full and confiding hearts. It is the spot where expressions of tenderness gush out without any sensation of awkwardness and without any dread of ridicule. I'd like to live a place like that. Would you? I sure would. <clears throat> Ephesians 3.17 says, May Christ, that Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust in him, now let's move on to the second part of that, and that's in the Christian Standard Bible says this, that 
Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, and there's two word pictures there, that you would be rooted in love, which is the idea of a tree sending its roots down, which gives it not only nourishment but stability. That's why we use that phrase, right? They have roots or they don't have roots in a community or a place. When you have roots somewhere, it's because you have something that's connecting you to that place or to those people. It also is a, place, a source of nourishment to you. And the other word picture is firmly established, and various translations of that have a connotation and connection to establishing the foundation which, of a house which needs to be firm and strong in order to support the structure. So may you have roots that grow down that nourish you and connect you, and may you be firmly established in a way that's rock solid in love. And the sentence is completed this way, and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. May you be firmly rooted and established in in God's love, and may you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. Here's the second observation. First, God wants to make himself at home in me. And secondly, God invites me to make myself at home in him. It's kind of like when you, probably if you invite someone to your house, you are very comfortable being at home there. And it's easy for you to say, make yourself at home and really mean it, but now flip positions. Now you are visiting someone else's home, and they tell you, let's just say you're one of your best friends, they tell you make yourself at home. And now it's, am I able to do that? And God invites us to do that. Even if it feels awkward, he's actually sincere. It's not, you know, sometimes we say make yourself at home, and to be honest, we'd be offended if someone started going through our closets, right? We're just kind of just saying it, Actually, don't do your laundry right now. I don't, not really meaning that. Sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. You know, feel free to kick your shoes and socks off wherever you want and don't put them away like we don't when we come home. Actually, I'm not really meaning that, right? But God really means it. He really means, I want you to make yourself at home with me. Here's the message translation of that same passage. Another one, I think this is maybe the fifth or sixth one I'll show you, and maybe the last, of verse 17, that Christ will live in you, live in you, as you open the door and invite him in. And here's the key, guys. He invites you to make yourself at home in him. He doesn't kick the door down. He waits to be invited And remember, this is not written to people who don't already have Christ in them. This is not written to people who haven't yet put their faith or trust in Christ. This is written to people who have done that. So there's a sense, even when Christ is in you, that he's waiting for you and I to to, to respond and to invite him in. God... um, God places a shockingly high value on free will. It's shocking. 
how much he values us responding and inviting him. And you don't, you know, if, you, if you're in the market for a home, you want to buy a house, you can go to all the open houses you want it. You can cruise all of the Zillow and all the other for sale by owner places you want, all the realty places you want. But you don't get a home by just looking. You actually have to choose one and move in. And God's inviting us to make ourselves at home in him. He wants relationship with us, but he leaves the choice in our hands. He's available, and we just have to have, make the choice to keep doing it if we want to experience it. And it's not a one-time thing. It's a, that continual making yourself at home, continually going deeper and comprehending God's love for us. Verse 18 says that we'd be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and height and width and depth of God's love. Uh, that's more dimensions than we usually measure things in. Usually we just do the length and width and either the height or the depth, depending on what thing we're measuring. There's a lot of thoughts that have been put into this, commentaries that have been made, and there's lots of ideas about what Paul's getting at. Some, one commentary that I appreciate, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, says this, God's love is wide enough to reach the whole world and beyond. It's long enough to stretch from eternity to eternity. It's high enough to raise both Gentiles and Jews to heavenly places in Christ. It's deep enough to rescue people from sin's de degradation and even the grip of Satan himself. And there's references back throughout the first two chapters of Ephesians to all those ideas. That might be what Paul's getting at. I'm not 100% sure myself. But I do know that he's saying, in some level, that God's love is whatever you want to use. Big, deep, large, wide, tall, enough that we can go get a greater understanding and a greater experience of it and not come to the end of it. That it's a continual, we never can actually go deep and deeper and get to the end of it. And notice also that it's with all the saints, that there's a corporate aspect to this comprehension that actually I need you and you need me in the church to fully comprehend this. Some of that has to do with how we love each other and relate to each other. I uh, have a friend that has said to me a couple of times over the last months, I like you, and I've needed to hear that. Here's why. I don't always like myself. And when I don't like myself because I think I know what's right and true, I kind of project that onto other people and even to God. And I begin to live life like I don't like myself, and neither does God. You and I need to hear stuff like that from other people sometimes. We need, that's what Paul is getting at. At times, we won't know what God's love is like until we're with other people some ways. Okay, here's the last verse, verse 19. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of 
God's love, and, verse 19, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Just a weird phrase. I pray that you would know this love that goes beyond knowing so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's the last observation, guys. First of all, God wants to make himself at home in me and you. Second, God invites us, me and you, to make ourselves at home in him. And here's the third observation. Making a home with God is a process. Just like making a house into a home doesn't happen overnight, you might be able to have a really great set of builders that goes from zero to 60. They're building a house about a mile from us on an old farmstead. They burn the old house down. They're building a new one. I expect that they're going to have most of that house up before the snow flies because they have a lot of people working on it. That could happen overnight virtually. But to make a house into a home takes time. And the same is with making a home with God. Right now, Andrea, my wife, and I are talking about other projects on the house that we want to do. She has some new paint she wants to put on some walls in some of our room over time. And you know, if you've ever owned a house, those of you that have that, it's sort of a continual, you're always kind of doing something over the years. Maybe not every single year, sometimes every single year. But that's, that takes time. Just the house projects take time. But the process of it becoming something where we all feel comfortable and at home, that takes sometimes even more time. Sometimes shorter, sometimes less. Here, you know what? One of, the, one of the things I think gets in the way of making a home with God is God has all this compassion for us. He has all this love for us and all this grace for us. But we don't actually receive it. A phrase that has really helped me that I've connected with uh, when it comes to compassion is we often lack self-compassion. Like you and I can be really nice and compassionate to other people when they make mistakes, but oftentimes when you mess up, what are you thinking about for the next, the rest of the day, the rest of the week, depending on the mess up, the rest of the month, the rest of the year? We don't have the same kind of compassion for ourselves that God has for us. Now, I'm not talking about narcissism here, okay? Um, but, you know the greatest commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the, the next one says, love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. If you can't have compassion and love on yourself, guess what I've experienced? I kind of start stinking at loving my neighbor. I actually don't do that well. When I am harsh with myself, guess what happens at home? I sort of am harsh with my family because that's really how I'm thinking about myself. Guys, making a home with God is a process, and I think we would do well to give ourselves space and time, if that's our desire, to grow into that. And not expect overnight, instantaneous progress. He says that Christ's love, that we would know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, that means that we can always know more. 
And why? So that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. Just think about that. How much filling is that? You can always be filled up more. As we look at these different areas of our lives through this series, my encouragement to you is to consider how can I be kind and patient with myself in making progress in these areas. Not that you shouldn't be respond to the Spirit's conviction and make big changes. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says love is patient. You know why we're not patient? I'm sure that if I said how many of you would describe yourselves as patient, very few of us would be able to go like this. Part of the reason we're not patient with people, with life, with circumstances, is because we're not really patient with ourselves. <laughs> we're not actually believing that God is patient with us. Here's what we're going to look at over the next eight weeks, guys. I think I have a slide that goes through this. We're going to look at, next week, we're going to look at the living room. And this is really a room that represents our life with God, where we get comfortable, we sit on the couch, we are intentional about connecting and investing in our relationship, the way that we live with God day to day. And we're going to look at the study, which represents our mind, what we think about, what we allow to enter our mind through what we read, what we look at at the internet, what we dwell on, what's true, what's on repeat, what's distorted, what needs to get out, and what is at the center of our thoughts. The workshop has to do with what our lives produce, both our paid and our unpaid work is producing something. And when Christ is in the center of that, he empowers us to produce things that last as opposed to things that won't. The dining room is the place of our appetites where we eat, right? So that has to do with our appetites, our desires, our passions. This is what we go to for satisfaction, what we get full fulfillment from. The rec room represents our friendships and our associations, what we do with our free time, our hobbies, our entertainment. It's both the fun we have and who we have that fun with. What would it look like for Christ to be at the center of that? And then there's the hall closet, probably my least favorite, but the, the room that actually, when I read this in college over 20 years ago, probably 25 years ago, the room that really got my attention. And the hall closet is, just a small little room, but it smells like death because there's rotten stuff in there. Usually the stuff that we're, you know what, we have room in our house where we just shove all the mess. This is that room, the mess in our life that we know needs to get cleaned up, but we don't know how to clean it up. The things we're embarrassed about, we're actually ashamed to even think about asking Jesus to open that door and clean it up because we have no idea how it would ever get clean but Jesus isn't afraid of it. And he's willing to go in there and make it his as well. Guys, what would happen if God moved in? What would change in your life if, you, if God were at home in your heart? And what would change in your life if you made yourself at home in God? That's what we're going to be looking at over the next eight weeks. We're going to close with the song, 
uh, Bruce and Kayla, if you guys would want to make your way up here, we're going to sing this song, Cornerstone, which really is us declaring that Christ is the foundation that we can build life on. It connects with part of that prayer, that you would be firmly established in God's love. What I'm going to do for our closing prayer is I'm going to pray this passage of Scripture that we just walked through over you and over me and ask that God might make it come true in us today and throughout the rest of this series. Would you stand? And then if you would bow your heads as we pray this prayer. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.